excited, excited today. We, we have uh, Pastor John Randall from Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano with us today. And uh, would you give John a warm welcome? Well, good morning, gentlemen. It's great to be here with you. What a blessing to have a group of men gathered together to worship the Lord. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open up with me now to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather as men in this place. Lord, we want to humble ourselves before you today. Lord, may nothing stand in the way of your Holy Spirit speaking to us, God. Lord, may pride disappear, replaced with humility. Lord, I pray for a brokenness today. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would minister to the need of every single man. Lord, I know that there are wives that are praying today for their husbands, for their sons, for the fathers of their children, and we pray that every prayer that has been offered up to you, Lord, would be answered before this day is through. And we ask this together in Jesus' name, amen. Within the history of the nation of Israel, there came a time when the people longed for a change in leadership. They grew tired of the different judges that were raised up and called upon to govern the land. They had observed the surrounding nations that had kings to lead them into battle. And therefore the people pleaded with the Lord for their own king. They had been a theocracy, but now they called for a monarchy. The prophet Samuel was greatly discouraged by their demands Nevertheless, the Lord told Samuel to grant the people their request and anoint a king. The monarchy of Israel had begun and it eventually led to King David, a man after God's own heart, which in turn led to his son, King Solomon. And during the reign of Solomon, the kingdom arrived at its zenith with a glorious temple, peace with their enemies, and economic stability. Yet once Solomon died, the kingdom began to decline and it was divided into two separate kingdoms, one to the north and one to the south. The northern kingdom was referred to as Israel and it consisted of 10 tribes and the southern kingdom was referred to as Judah and it consisted of the remaining two tribes. The nation then went into deeper idolatry And the Lord raised up the Assyrians as an instrument of his chastening. They attacked the northern tribes and deported them out of the land. The southern kingdom of Judah did not learn from the mistakes of the north, and they too were taken into captivity for 70 years as Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, laid siege to the city on three separate occasions accompanied by three deportations to Babylon. And during his final attack upon Judah... Nebuchadnezzar destroyed everything, including the temple. And the Jews were taken a thousand miles away from their homeland 
with no apparent hope of ever returning. And at that moment in their history, it seemed that every promise that was made to Abraham, the covenant that God had made with David had been annulled and would never come to pass. However, 70 years later, the Babylonian Empire was replaced by the Medo-Persian Empire, and the Jewish people were given a second chance to return to their land. Cyrus, the king of Persia, made a decree that the Jews could return to Israel, and 50,000 Jews returned back to the land of Israel to rebuild their lives and their nation. And the first priority in returning from exile was to rebuild the temple, the place of worship of the living God. In the book of Ezra, it records the rebuilding of the temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel, under Joshua the high priest, along with the prophetic encouragement of Zechariah and Haggai. It was after 60 years that God then raised up a scribe whose name was Ezra to return and reestablish the worship among God's people. And the undertaking of reestablishing moral and the spiritual condition of the people was difficult due to the fact that the poor leadership had intermarried with the nation of Israel with the surrounding pagan nations. Furthermore, the people who lived in the country were the enemies of Israel and they challenged them on every front. The Persian king that sent them to rebuild could not send reinforcements to protect them. And thus they were on their own. They were without protection. And the result was that for more than 90 years after the first deportation of the Jews returned to Jerusalem from Babylon, the walls of Jerusalem remained desolate. And the people, they lived in affliction. They lived in fear for their lives. Because the walls represented the protection the people needed. It was a sign of stability. It was a mechanism of defense. And although they had their temple built, they couldn't worship without fear of attack. And men, it was at that time. In Israel's history in 445 BC, that God saw fit to raise up a man, a true point man, for the mission of rebuilding the broken walls of Jerusalem. His name was Nehemiah. And the story of Nehemiah is more than just a historic account of a construction project of a wall being built. There are tremendous truths for those who desire leadership in their family, in their marriage, on the job. Nehemiah serves as an amazing example for us to follow in the way that he prayed, in the way that he battled, and in the way that he built. In all of our lives, men, there are walls that need to be built that have been broken down. Places that were once beacons of stability that the enemy has come in and blasted. Perhaps your testimony has taken a shot recently or the wall built around your marriage. Things are not what they should be. You're not loving your wife like Christ of the church or there's, there's animosity in the home or you're living in separate bedrooms. You're coexisting plutonically in this relationship and God has called you to more than that and there needs to be repentance and change of heart and humility. The walls have been broken down. It's time to rebuild. Perhaps the walls of your devotional life you used to be a man of the word, man. You would wake up every morning, get with your Bible, and get alone with Jesus and read, but somehow you've just become too busy, and then those things have been set aside. It's time to rebuild the walls of the devotional life of the man of God. Amen. And this morning, I just want to point out a few characteristics in Nehemiah's life that I think truly made him 
an effective point man. First of all, Nehemiah had a heart of compassion. That brings us to Nehemiah chapter 1, if you'd follow along with me. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The walls of the city of Jerusalem are broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. As Nehemiah was dwelling and working in Shushan, it was the capital city of Persia, He lived in the citadel. It was the palace of the king. And he was the assistant to the king. He was his cupbearer. He would taste the food. He would taste the wine prior to the king taking it, just in case someone intended to poison him. But also, a cupbearer became a close confidant of the king, a chief of staff, if you would. You spent most of your time in the king's presence. It was a place of great comfort in many ways. But although Nehemiah had a comfortable position in the courts of the Persian king, he had a greater concern for his people. He wasn't a man who was only looking out for his own interests, but he was concerned about the interests of other people. He wasn't self-absorbed. He was concerned about others. There was something on his mind. He was thinking of more than just himself. He was concerned about the state of those who returned from Babylon. And this concern that he had on his mind moved him to inquire about their condition. There was something already stirring in his heart long before his brethren ever arrived in Jerusalem. And so often, men, that is how the call of God begins in our own life. It starts with a divine stirring within our own hearts from the Holy Spirit. It's something that God does within us. Often it occurs in very natural ways, but really it's supernatural. God begins the work, and I believe that it's the Lord who who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And there may be something right now, today, that God has been stirring in your heart, something that God is calling you to, something that he's impressed upon your life, and you can't shake it. It doesn't go away. It just grows with time. There's a greater passion and a concern, and it just just doesn't leave. Listen, I want to tell you something. That's God. That's how God speaks. It's very natural. And everything points in that direction and everything looks that way. And it's the Lord supernaturally, very naturally leading you. And that's what was happening to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was given the answer to his question by his brother. It says the people are in great distress. They're a reproach. The walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. Again, there was already a concern for the people that led to the inquiry of his brother. But when his brother told him of the the distress, of the reproach, and the great need that there was, it was like kerosene to a spark. And it just engulfed Nehemiah, the burden that he had. It just began to consume his heart. And he had a desire to go and help rebuild the walls that had been broken down. Man, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have a concern for those around you? Do you see the broken condition of the community you live in? Do you have compassion for the lost? To be an effective point man, you have to be a man who is full of compassion. You know the greatest point man of all? Jesus Christ. And you know what it says about Jesus? It says he was moved with compassion. Because when he looked at people, 
He saw them as sheep that were scattered. They were weary. They were lost. And his heart broke. He was constrained with compassion for those who needed him. And I wonder today if there are any men in this place who are moved with compassion and your heart breaks. Nehemiah is there. He has this burden to build. But this burden to build led him to his knees to pray and to seek the face of God. Because the task, guys, listen, the task is too great for us on our own. You may hear of some need in a far off country or maybe in your own community, but we don't know if we're the ones that are being called to meet the need. And thus we have to seek the Lord. Lord, is this burden from you or is this something I came up with on my own? I need clear direction. Nehemiah reacts and he does so in a spiritual nature. He goes before heaven with his burden. Nehemiah's inquiry led to an answer. And the answer was that things were broken down. Things were burned with fire. And I want you to see, and I want to highlight Nehemiah's response here in verse four because it is significant as it relates to compassion. It says, I heard the words, I sat down, I wept for many days. And I was fasting and I was praying and I was seeking the God of heaven, praying before the God of heaven. The first thing that Nehemiah did, look at what it says, man, he sat down. He sat down. This is a picture of stopping all activity, all of the things that he was doing in order to process what was truly taking place. He didn't react. He didn't just take off for Jerusalem. He sat down. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And today you have this opportunity to sit, to hear, to listen. God's gonna confirm things to you throughout this day. God's gonna be speaking to you by the work of his Holy Spirit through the guys that are gonna be sharing the word today. It's so easy for us to, when we see something, to immediately react and just respond to the situation rather than to stop and pray and to say, God, what do you want me to do in this? We just want to react. We want to fix it right now. Our wife says, hey, I really need to talk to you and I really need to listen to you. And sometimes we don't even listen. We just react. Honey, I understand. Here's a Bible verse. Go read it and we'll talk later. You know, the game is on. Don't be such a fool. You know, (laughs) we need to stop and listen. But Nehemiah, we see here, He began to seek the Lord, and as he sought the Lord, I want you to see something. His heart began to break. It says he wept and he mourned for many days. Have you ever been moved on behalf of someone else to the point that you just weep over their life? A loved one who's living apart from God? The thought of them being separated from God? For eternity in a place called hell? Has it ever just shattered your heart? Has it ever just broke you to the point where tears filled your eyes and you didn't know what else to do except cry out to God? Maybe you have a son or a daughter who's not walking with the Lord today. Maybe they've walked away from the Lord and there's nothing that moves the heart of a parent like a child. I don't care what age they are. And your heart breaks and you pray over them. Have you ever been gripped by the Spirit of God in such a way when you looked at a crowd of people and you wondered to yourself, I wonder if they they know the Lord. Maybe it's your coworkers, these guys that come and they show up on the job and they tell you about what the great weekend they're having. They're not here today. They're out, they're getting ready to party. This is the weekend and they'll show up on Monday, hungover, tell you about all their exploits. Has your heart ever broken for them? Do you see them with compassion? Do you look at them and say, what a loser? Why are you such a, why do you want to live that way? And here's the problem, guys. Sometimes I think we forget we also are losers apart from Christ. We can look at people that are far from the Lord and think, get it together, man. 
Like, why don't you, wow, I can't believe. And we forget where Jesus saved us from, what he pulled us out of and where we were before God rescued us. May God break our hearts for people. Move us with compassion for the lost. Nehemiah was broken. He wept. You know, Jesus also wept. The Bible tells us that he wept over the city of Jerusalem. As he was making his way down the Mount of Olives, coming up to the city, he wept over the fact that they didn't recognize him. It broke his heart. And we need men who are broken men, filled with the Spirit, who have a heart of compassion to make an impact in this world. Not growing indifferent, not short-sighted, not becoming critical of all things, not just getting our information from news feeds and all of these things that shape the mentality and we look at the country and we look at the next generation or we look at situations and we just, rather than pray for people, we despise them. Rather than be broken for those that are caught up in a transgendered lifestyle, we, we, we curse them rather than pray for them. God, God needs to, we have a lot of challenges in the church today that we're facing right now. And we need men of God to stand up to meet the challenge. And it's not in our strength. We know that. We want the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of compassion. It's the heart of love, guys. I need God to break my heart afresh for people. Nehemiah, first of all, had a heart of compassion. But guys, I want to share with you the next thing concerning being a a faithful and effective point man. Not only did he have a heart of compassion, listen, he prayed for vision. He prayed for vision. Because in the remainder of this chapter, and I'll highlight it for you, Nehemiah begins to pray and you gain an incredible amount of insight into Nehemiah's spiritual life. At least 12 times in the book of Nehemiah, we find him praying. And any man that has a desire to be used by the Lord, to see God effectively work through his life, through his community. Listen, we have to be men of prayer. Everybody that the Lord uses in scripture, they were, they were people of prayer. And prayer became such a vital part even of Jesus' ministry, so much so that the disciples, when they saw him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why is it that the prayer meeting is the least attended meeting of all of the church meetings? We have a men's prayer meeting every single week. There's about 30 to 45 guys that gather, maybe less than that, 20 to 30 guys that gather every single Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. to stand in the gap for God's people. Pardon me, it's 7 a.m. To pray. I think, where are the men? We need men of prayer. Praying for vision, asking God for direction. And as Nehemiah began to pray and communicate with God, he begins his prayer with a recognition of who God is. He highlights that God is powerful. He highlights that God is faithful. He recognizes that God is not only powerful, but he's faithful. God keeps his word. If he promised it, he's gonna bring it to pass. Listen, men, the God that we serve is a faithful God. He never fails. Do you believe that, men? He never fails. He is faithful. The Bible says he remains faithful even when we're faithless because he cannot deny himself. We serve a faithful God. He's been faithful to us. But Nehemiah, not only does he highlight the faithfulness of God and the powerful nature of God, but listen, in his prayer, he confesses his sin and the sins of the nation. Confession. 
You know one of the true marks of all revivals that have ever happened throughout church history? You know what one of the marks is? Repentance before God. Repentance, people getting right with God and God beginning to move by his spirit because there's so many things that have been quenching the work of the spirit that the spirit has been hindered from moving, not because he is incapable, but because sometimes we're not willing to allow him to because there's just too many things in our lives that are standing in the way. And it's when men of God, when the people of God begin to repent before God and say, God, change me. God, bend me. Lord, alter my disposition. Change my attitude. Forgive me, Lord. That's when God begins to work. So Nehemiah, he's not saying, Lord, these people, they've done this and it's their fault. He says, God, our sin, it's us. We look at this nation and say, well, how could those leaders do this? And how could those leaders do that? What about the church? Judgment begins in the house of God. When the church starts being the church, that in turn affects the nation. Sometimes you hear people saying, well, we we need revival. We do. The church needs revival. Men of God need revival. We need to turn from what's holding us back. Listen, if you're ensnared in sin today, men, this is the day. This is the time to get right with God. There is no better time, no better place than to turn and get right with the Lord. If you are caught up in pornography today, if you are consistently putting things in front of your eyes that are destroying your mind, wrecking your heart, ruining your relationship with your wife and how you see the rest of the world, listen, today you can be set free. But it starts with repentance, a turning away, a gaining of accountability in order to be right in the sight of God, in order to have, this Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for what? They shall see God. Man, don't we want to see God move in our day? God needs to purify us, to refine us. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why should I look upon a young woman? I live in this world, but I'm not of it. I have to guard my mind. I have to guard my eyes. It's all around us, men, like it's never been around us before. And not only around us, it's around our children. They are bombarded in every way. In a matter of moments, they could be somewhere that they should never be, seeing things they can never erase from their mind. We're in a battle. Nehemiah, as he prays, highlighting the characteristics of God, confessing his sin, and then claiming the promises of God. He begins to pray scripture. I love that. Not because God forgets what he promised, we forget. And so as I pray in the promises of God, you know what happens? It reminds me that God is faithful to keep his word. Lord, you said that you would do this. Lord, you promised in your word that this would take place. So I am taking hold of the promises of God. And you know something? That impacts the way that I pray. Guys, know the word, pray the word, meditate on the word, speak the word. Nehemiah was moved with a heart of compassion. He prayed for vision. But a third er uh, characteristic I find in his life as you go through the book is that he actually stood up to opposition. As the story of Nehemiah unfolds and the construction process begins there in Jerusalem, it didn't take long for the work to be opposed. And let me tell you this, any man that says today, I want to rise up and build for the kingdom of God, you will immediately be opposed and the devil will say, I'm going to tear down everything that you're going to attempt to build. You got a fight on your hands. It's a battle. At one point, we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah, they have a sword in one hand and they have a trowel in the other hand because they're building and they're battling at the same time. That's what we're called to, men. 
We're called to build, but we're also called to battle. And so as Nehemiah makes his way down to Jerusalem, when he arrives, the first thing he does is he goes out and he surveys the walls. He had heard about what it was like, but then he went out and saw it for himself. And it was actually worse than what he had heard. But it didn't discourage him. It didn't stop him. He went and he rallied the leaders. He told them of the good hand of God that was upon him and that he incorporated others to arise and build. That, by the way, is another point. Guys, listen, as men, we tend to think, I don't need anybody else. I can do this on my own. I'll build my own wall. I don't need you. Listen, we need each other. We need one another, guys. We need to lock shields. We gotta, we gotta go through this advance together. No man can be on his own. The Bible says that a person that isolates himself rages against all wisdom. Too many men getting picked off by the devil because they isolate themselves. Just getting picked off. They're just by themselves. They're the Lone Ranger. Hey, listen, Lone Ranger at Tonto, guys. You have to have somebody alongside of you, all right? We need each other. Paul had Timothy and Peter had John and on and on it goes. Jesus had the disciples. And so Nehemiah rallies these guys around him and they're excited to do the work. They had a mind to work, a heart to work and they began to build together. And they began with a tremendous amount of momentum. It seemed that the impossible was actually being accomplished. The people were so excited, they were laboring enthusiastically, but in the midst of the work being done, their enemies began to oppose them. And the opposition was progressive. When Nehemiah first showed up in town, the Bible says that the enemy was deeply disturbed that a man would come and seek the well-being of the people. Just disturbed by it. But then, once the work began, they went from being disturbed to ridiculing the work that was being done. The opposition that Nehemiah faced and those laboring with him came in, in all different forms. The enemy that Nehemiah faced was concerned with one thing, and that was this, causing the walls to not be built, to get him to quit, to put it mildly, to get him to quit. That was the whole goal, just to get you to quit. So first of all, we're disturbed by what you're doing, and we're also gonna oppose what you're doing, and we're gonna ridicule what you're doing. Guys, that, that is straight out of the playbook of the devil. I wonder today if there are men in this room, if we're the kind of men that are doing things in our lives that are actually disturbing the kingdom of darkness. I wonder today if we're the kind of men that are doing things that actually trouble the devil. Are we the kind of men the devil's bothered by what we're doing. Are we these guys that it doesn't bother them at all? He's not concerned about what we're doing at all because we just, we don't do anything. We just sit back. We let our wife do it. We sit back. We let the women do it. Listen, you know what I'm talking about. We let the women serve in the church. We don't step up. We just, hey, it's cool. Go for it. And there's too many guys sitting on the sidelines. They're supposed to be in the game. Amen? That's what we need, guys. Too many guys in the bleachers drinking Gatorade or other things. Like you need to set that aside, bro, and get in to the game. Lord's called your number. Amen? Amen. So the devil we face, listen, if discouragement doesn't do it, then maybe pride will do it. And if that doesn't do it, then this will do it. Listen, opposition will come from within. It'll come from without. And there may be some guys here today that you're discouraged. You just feel beat up, man. The devil has just pummeled you into a corner and you're just thinking, I can't, I can't do this. You're discouraged. You think I'm never going to be able to get beyond this. I just seem every time I try, I fail. Listen, guys, that can change today through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Maybe you've been trying to do the Christian life in your own strength. I am so thankful today that God has provided the power of the Holy Spirit for us so that we can live the Christian life. I can't do it without him. And the great news is we don't have to. We don't have to. So here he was being opposed. And anytime you're working for the Lord, you're gonna be opposed. They, they mocked a couple things. They mocked his character. They said, you're feeble. The Jews are feeble. They mocked the work. They said, are they gonna fortify themselves? They said, even if they do build a wall, ha ha, listen, if a fox goes up on it, the thing's gonna tumble. That's how cheap that wall is. You got nothing. There's no way you're gonna keep us out. You're, this is not gonna work. Well, you think going to a one-day men's conference is gonna change your life? Big deal, the devil says. I refute that in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> the people were so enthusiastic as they labored. They thought it could be done in one day. And, and they were just laboring in such a way. And Nehemiah was right there. Guys, let me tell you something. If you're not enthusiastic about what you're doing for the kingdom of God, it will show. If you're not into it, don't expect your wife to be into it. If you're not into it, don't expect your kids to walk with the Lord if you don't want to. Don't expect your kids to go and show up to fellowship midweek and be involved in the fellowship if you're not. Don't put that expectation on them if you're not leading from the front. As men, we're called to lead from the front, not from the back. Amen? But when we're enthusiastic about serving Jesus, when we're enthusiastic about the word, it also has an impact upon people around us. It affects the, the culture that we're in. It affects the community that we live in, the job market that we're working in. It has an impact. So these people were laboring. They trusted in the Lord. But then, of course, the enemy came back and mocked their materials. They even mocked their finished product. But you know what Nehemiah did with every form of opposition? He prayed. He positioned the people in proper places. And he equipped them with weapons to fight and he encouraged them in the process. He kept going. He kept trusting in God. He kept praying. He kept building. He didn't stop. Guys, listen, you can't stop building. You can't stop investing into your marriage. You can't stop discipling. We can't stop discipling our children or our grandchildren. We have to continue to keep building. We don't stop building on the kingdom of God until we get to heaven, and then there's gonna be work for us to do there. Nehemiah, was moved with compassion. He prayed for vision. But I also find concerning Nehemiah that he was unwilling to compromise. And this is critical. He was unwilling to compromise with the enemy. When you come to chapter six, the enemy discovers that the walls were being completed. And the only thing really that was left was for the doors to be hung. And so what they did is they sent word to Nehemiah. They implored him. They said, hey, Nehemiah, why don't you come down and have a meeting with us? Four consecutive times, they asked Nehemiah. This, these are the people that have been opposing him the whole time. And now they say, hey, we'd really like to have a meeting with you. What do you say we get together? And interesting, they wanted to meet him, check this out, in the Valley of Ono. That's what it's called. I mean, I don't know if that's what tipped him off. Oh, no, I'm not going there. I mean, he just knew in advance. I mean, Nehemiah had discernment when they said, come meet with us four times. And oh, no, he said, oh, no, 
I'm not going to compromise. He refused. And the attack on the enemy with these, this call for these four consecutive meetings was to befriend Nehemiah, as it were, in order to do him harm. In essence, they were asking him, listen, guys, to compromise his standards, his ethics, his beliefs, his morality, his relationship with God. And in order to do so, he would have to leave the work that he was doing. Listen, the Bible says, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You got people in your life, they they would love for you to compromise. Hey, Joe, why don't you come hang with us after work, bro? We're going to have a few. We're going to watch the game. It's going to be awesome. Come on, man. Come with us. Compromise. Hey, bro, you know that girl? She's checking you out. In fact, she gave me her number. I want to give it to you. I'm married, you kook. You know, like you, this is what men are dealing with every single day. Oh, no, I'm not getting into that. I'm not going that direction. But listen, it's a fight for us as guys. There's always these things that, that would love to have us compromise. And here's the thing that's interesting about compromise. It doesn't necessarily have to be just this massive compromise over, overnight. It's little compromises over time. You just get incrementally further and further and further away. You start introducing things back into your life that Jesus took out of your life, just incrementally. Hey man, I'm mature now, bro. I've read through the whole Bible. One year Bible, I know some stuff. I can handle this now. It's not that big of a deal. And so you just incrementally begin to introduce it back into your life. And before you know it, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little leaven, Jesus said, that leavens the whole lump. Suddenly you're somewhere, you don't know how you got there. I'll tell you how you get there. It's just a little bit at a time. It's the old frog in the kettle illustration. Put the frog in there. You just slowly heat up the water until he cooks and then you fry it and eat its legs. I mean, this is just something that we need to not mess with. For the record, I've never had them, but I know people that have. God bless them. But here's the point. (laughs) Nehemiah, a heart of compassion, a man who prayed for vision, a man who stood up to opposition. He just didn't, you know, cave in when he was opposed. He prayed, he sought the Lord, he had a sword in his hand, and he kept on building. We find here that he was unwilling to compromise. But another thing I think that's important, and we're almost through, and that's this. One, one thing you find throughout this book of Nehemiah, and I love this because this is something that I think as men we, we really need. That is this. He persevered through discouragement. Listen, even though this guy was a great leader, even though this man was called by God with a vision from God to build and had a heart of compassion, it does not mean that he was not subject to discouragement. And every single man in here is subject to that same thing. It's a, it's a fight. Maybe you're discouraged in your job. Maybe you're discouraged in your marriage. Maybe you're discouraged with your kids. Maybe you're discouraged, whatever it is. Listen, the devil uses discouragement. It's like this tool that he uses, this hammer that he uses. Maybe you're condemned over things that you did in the past. And it's like the devil puts a hammer in your hand and he, for, or he starts banging you with it on your head. You're never gonna, and he's pounding you with it. Then he puts it in your hand and he goes away and you just keep doing it yourself. I mean, you're just so discouraged, so beaten down. You know, the apostle Paul had a past. He wasn't proud of it, but he never forgot it. In fact, when you look at his life, at one point, 30 years after walking with the Lord, after his conversion, he's in a prison cell writing the epistle of joy of all things, the book of Philippians. And one thing he said, he said, I, one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. 
and I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the call of the upward God, of, or I press toward the, the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, Paul never forgot the past, but he did not allow the past to affect him in the present. Every single one of us has a past that we're not proud of. And the devil would consistently bring it up. And the devil would love to remind you, to discourage you, to keep you in that place. Well, what about five years ago? You know what happened. I know. I'm an idiot. I blew it. I repented. But he keeps condemning you. The Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned, guys. But Jesus also said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Maybe you're discouraged in that way. The past has plagued you. The devil consistently reminds you of it. You know, I love what someone said, and I think it's worth re-quoting. When the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Amen. That settles it. Amen? <laughs> but maybe today you came to this conference and you're just discouraged. And you're trying to be strong, trying to be strong for your wife trying to be strong for the rest of the kids. And as men, we, we feel the, the need, the inclination, the desire. We're built to fight. We're built to be strong. But yet sometimes we, we're weak. The Apostle Paul knew it again, what it was to be weak. He said, in my weakness, God's grace was sufficient. And he said, actually, when I'm weak, that's when I'm the strongest. Why, how could you say that? Because he knew that when he was at his weakest point, he was depending on the resources of God, a strength that had no end. And he said, that's really when I'm the strongest, when I'm the weakest. Are you discouraged today, brother? Are you troubled? Are you like David? Maybe you need to speak to your soul and say, why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God. I will yet praise him. Listen, what's going on right now is not always the way that it's going to be. You gotta hang in there. You gotta persevere. You gotta just keep taking one step and, and the next step and the next step. Just, just persevere. God's with you. He's never gonna leave you. He's never gonna forsake you. He loves you. He, he's with you right now. You might feel like you're alone. You're not alone. I know men who have contemplated suicide in recent days. In fact, I've done memorials recently for men who've actually taken their own life. They were so discouraged, had two children, had a, had a job, had a family, had, a, had people that loved them, and they just couldn't deal with it anymore, and they just ended it all. Listen, that might be your thought today. You might have had those thoughts. I want to tell you again, as I said last night, that's from the devil. Jesus came to give you life and that more abundantly so we have to persevere as men. We keep going through the power of the Holy Spirit. Even when we're weak, we can be strong. And I think finally, if I was to consider Nehemiah and what made him such an effective point, man, is that Nehemiah, not only was he a man who had a heart of compassion, he was concerned for others, not just himself. Self-absorption always keeps us away from ministering to others. But he was a man that prayed for vision. He was a man that stood up to opposition. He persevered through discouragement. But you know what I love about Nehemiah? He completed the mission. He completed the mission. 
Because as you go on and you read through, you'll get to the, the, towards the middle of the book and you'll find, even though he was opposed from every side, they're rallying. They, said, they even said, we're going to come in and kill you. You keep building, this, this is it. You're not going to go any farther than this. You guys are all dead. That's what's going to happen to you. I mean, th- it was just coming from everywhere. Even inside, the laborers, the, one of the strongest tribes was the tribe of Judah. And Judah said, Nehemiah, we can't do this anymore. The, the strength of the laborers is failing. There, there's so much rubbish. We can't even get to the rocks that we're supposed to use to build this wall. We can't do it anymore. He just kept going. He kept building, kept persevering, kept fighting. And then the day finally came when the mission was complete. The wall was built. It happened. He completed the task that he was given. It didn't mean the attack stopped. It didn't mean the challenges, you know, ended, but he kept on fighting. And guys, that's what we got to do. We got to keep building because there's coming a day when our mission is going to be complete. When this, when this journey that we're on right now is going to come to an end and it's going to go into eternity. So we want to finish like men who are building until the Lord comes again. There's going to come a time when your mission's going to end, guys. How are you going to finish How am I going to finish? I shared last night, and I'll share it with you because it's fresh on my heart and my mind. This this week, we remembered and commemorated the death of my father uh, one year ago this week. He died of cancer. Godliest man I ever knew. Great point man. (laughs) Humble. A servant of the Lord, a missionary, a pastor in three different countries. And I am forever indebted to this man, my dad, for his legacy, for his example. I'm so thankful. Myself, my brother's a pastor, my younger brother, my sister's in full-time ministry. I mean, I am, we are so thankful for what he did. My dad led all of his brothers and sisters to the Lord. A family of seven. They were all Catholic. He was the first one to get saved as a hippie. Coming back from Vietnam, led the rest of his family to Christ. Amen. Let us to Christ. Amen. But I watched this man build. And I watched him battle. And I especially watched him and walked him down the last lap. And the outward man was perishing. But the inward man was being renewed day by day. And I watched him complete his mission. I saw him finish strong. I saw him take his last breath. And one day we're going to be reunited. And I'll tell you, in seeing him go, I mean, I've been at the bedside of many people over the last 26 years of ministry. But when it's your own, it's different. It touches you deeply, changes you forever. And I'm a different man because of that. And as I watched him leave this earth and enter into eternity, I realized life is short. It's a vapor. Men, we have a job to do. We are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We, for some of you, you're married here today. You, you've been, you're entrusted with a stewardship of your wife, of your helpmate. What's that relationship like? How are you building that wall around that relationship? Are you investing in that? Or are you taking it for granted? 
things need to change today. We've been invested. If you're, if you're a parent here, you know we have four children. You, you have this opportunity. You're, you're in, we're investing in the lives of our children, and, and that is a privilege that, that we don't want to take for granted. Are we investing? Are we building in, into their lives? Are we sowing into their lives or grandchildren? Whatever it is, guys, listen, there are walls to be built. There are men that are needed for the job. Who's going to sign up? Who wants a shovel? Who wants a trowel? Who wants a sword? I do. So I think we come to this place where we just say, like Isaiah said, he knew he was undone. He knew he didn't have it together. He saw the Lord high and lifted up and he said, I am, I am undone. I am unclean. I, I dwell among a people who are unclean. I have unclean lips. But, but he's, and the Lord took the coal, you remember, from the altar and he touched his lips and he was purified. And then Isaiah could say, Lord, here am I, send me. Give me a trowel and give me a sword. Let me complete the mission that you've set in front of me. It's been rightly said, gentlemen. We have one life to live, and it will soon be passed. And only what we do for the Lord will last. Will you pray with me? Father, today, we come before you. Just humble God. You know what we are. And we know what we are. But we also know what we can be through the power of the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, for every man here today, for all of us, God, we, we cry out to you, we lift up our hands, and we say, God, fill us today with your Spirit. Break us, God, through the studies today. Lord, humble us. Bring us to a place of repentance. Help us to look into the mirror of the word of God today. And whatever you reveal, God, that needs to change, Lord, alter us. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, not for our glory, but for yours. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's men said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys.